Last week in my conversation with the children, those of you who were here heard me talk about my sadness over the prominent news of the last few weeks. Sadness that Lisa, in lighting a candle of sorrow, alluded to. Um, sadness because in the last few weeks there have been a number of stories about at least six young men, children and young people, who took their own lives, committed suicide, because they thought that there was no other way to get rid of the pain that they felt. These young men were harassed and bullied and, and made to feel like there was something wrong with them by people who were in school. And they were, they were taunted and teased, and they felt so badly about themselves that they knew of nothing else they could do. And I wanna bring them in to this service, into this cloud of witnesses. I want to read their names because uh, they are young men who should not be dead right now. Tyler Clementi, Seth Walsh, Justin Aberg, Raymond Chase, Asher Brown, and Billy Lucas. We've seen their names, but those are just the ones we've heard of in the last three weeks. Just the ones to the young people who've committed suicide in the last three weeks who've made the news. It doesn't count the nameless and faceless many who are facing deep pain and, and struggling with it still who are wondering, is there a way out of that pain? It doesn't count the nameless and faceless many who have taken their own lives and not had it reported by anyone. The Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network tells us that 86%, 86% of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth report verbal harassment or bullying in the past year. They did a study, 86%, 22% of them report that their peers have inflicted physical violence upon them in schools. 22% of our lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth are, are having physical violence inflicted upon them in their school because of who they are, how they're perceived, you know, how they're seen by others, and you know, it's not just lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth. It's any of our children and youth who are different in some ways, who don't conform to, to what our society expects children to be or teaches that they should be or, or to, to our stereotypes of what boys and girls should be. The National Mental Health Association did a study in school, schools and they found that more than 50% of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer youth report to them that they are bullied all or most of the time in school. It's not just every now and then, it's all or most of the time. I could have saved my discussion with the children for this week. It would have gone better with this service than it did with last week's, but I didn't think it could wait. I didn't think it could wait a minute to let our children know that they are loved. 
I didn't think it could wait a minute to let our children know that they are powerful, that they have within them the power to stop this from happening to themselves and other people. I didn't think it could wait a minute to let our children know that they are responsible for respecting all people that they come into contact with, the people that they like and the people that they don't, the people that are the same as them and the people who are different from them. It couldn't wait another minute to let our children know those things. And I don't think that they can hear these messages often enough. I don't think that any of us can hear these messages often enough. Earlier, we participated in a child dedication ceremony. It's the first one that I've had the privilege of doing in a worship service as your minister in the last three years. And it's an honor to be able to do that for Ian and for Greta and for their family. And we dedicated our community in that service to stand with Ian, to stand with all of our children, to stand behind Greta as she raises her son, and to stand behind all of the parents in this community as they raise their children. We dedicated ourselves to help ensure that the children who are here in this community all have the chance to grow up in a loving place where moral and ethical decision-making is reinforced constantly, where those messages get, get given again and again without ceasing where all of us understand our responsibilities to our fellow human beings. Now, bullying and meanness and acts of unkindness are not just an issue for children and youth. They're certainly not just an issue for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth. Bullies, you see, exist in all parts of our lives. There are people in all parts of our lives who will pick on others in order to get their way. There are people in all parts of our lives who will choose to denigrate others in order to somehow feel better about themselves. They will cut other people down because they think it makes them look or feel better in comparison. There are people who will use hate speech, insults, and violence in order to get what they want or to teach other people that they are inferior. I think about just driving from home to here. I drive from Peekskill to Mount Kisco about four times a week down the Taconic through the streets of Mount Kisco. And even just on that drive, I encounter bullies. I encounter aggression and thoughtfulness. People who believe that what they are doing and where they are going is so much more important than what you are doing and where you are going that it doesn't matter how they treat you in their car on the road. I'm sure I see nodding heads. You've all experienced people like that. Sometimes you've been people like that. I have, I know too, been a person like that on the road. It's October and our political season is heating up. And as that happens, as the political se season and the political climate in this country has become so awful that as, as campaigns heat up, we see bullies on every part of the political spectrum. Again and again, they make ads proud of the fact that they are ugly, hateful people. They are people who are disrespecting others. They say in the beginning of the ads, I'm so-and-so and I approve this message. 
And then they go on and they call their opponents names. They use lies and intimidation to try and, and make people afraid into voting for them. They use threats of violence, actual or metaphorical, against their opponents, against their, the people who disagree with them. It's all over in, in press releases coming from campaigns. People running for office are, are showing us their gigantic egos again and again. They are proving to us that they don't have room to listen to people who disagree with them. And it's wrong. They're bullies and they need to be stopped. Whatever their political affiliation is, however much you and I might agree or disagree with their positions on issues or their politics, they're bullies and it needs to be stopped. Bullies, whether on the playground, the highway, or in politics, have all been taught somehow by someone that they are better than other people. They have been taught that they are better than other people. They've been taught that they will get away with violence, harassment, ugly words, tormenting others, that they will be somehow rewarded for doing these things. They have been, been taught that other people will not step in to stop it. All of those people who sit silently while someone is bullied, they teach that bully that they can get away with it because no one will step in to stop it. A recent University of Michigan study, which was reported in May in the Los Angeles Times, looked at 72 different surveys from 1979 to 2009 that measured attitudes among college students towards their peers. 72 different sets of researchers over 30 years surveyed college students and asked them questions about their attitudes towards their peers. And there were two categories that were particularly of note in this, in this study. They looked at empathic concern, so feelings of sympathy for other people's misfortunes among these students over 30 years. And they looked at something they called perspective taking, so how people are able to imagine other people's point of view, how people are able to see something from another person's perspective, to put, some, put themselves in someone else's shoes even for a moment. And these University of Michigan researchers found that um, in the college student population over 30 years, and there are a number of people in this, in this room here who have been in the college student population in the last 30 years, I know, um, empathic concern has decreased 48% in the last 30 years, 48%. And perspective taking, the ability to see from someone else's perspective has decreased 34% in that time. 48% decrease in young people's ability to feel sympathy for another person's misfortune. And I know that the college students who are part of this community spend their time doing that, spend their time helping people. So you can imagine if, if we are training our young people to have nothing but empathic concern, you can imagine how much other people's empathic concern has gone down if the average is 48% less. They noted decreases in kindness and helpfulness too. The LA Times quoted study author Edward O'Brien who said, 
College students today may be so busy worrying about themselves and their own issues that they don't have time to spend empathizing with others, or at least they perceive such time to be limited. They don't have time to spend empathizing with others. We're, our society is teaching our young people not to have time to see things from somebody else's perspective. We are teaching young people that who they are and what they are is so important that they don't need to make time or room in their lives to see something from somebody else's perspective, to put themselves in somebody else's shoes, to, to think maybe that there might be another answer to the questions that they're struggling with than the ones that they've come up with. They don't have time. That's sad. It's a sad indication. Maureen Costello writes, wrote uh, an essay on the Teaching Tolerance website, an excellent educational resource that addresses, among other things, bullying and harassment in schools. She wrote this, I wanna quote her. She wrote, a colleague told me about a website popular with students in the college class she teaches. I will not name it, she writes. It features a person who deliberately race baits and pulls pranks on marginalized people. Gleefully, her students described the episode in which the protagonist, posing as a contractor, packs his truck with Latino day laborers, makes hateful remarks during the ride that they don't understand, and then pulls up to a federal immigration office and tells them to get out. This is where the work is. He then removes a whistle from his pocket and blows it loudly. The payoff for the viewers, she writes, the buffo moment, is the sight of the workers scurrying off in all directions. Our society is teaching in many places that this is acceptable behavior toward other people. Not only do we not have to think about how other people might see the world, not only do we not have to have enough time to have sympathy for others' misfortunes, it's okay to laugh when we intentionally cause that misfortune. It's sad. We're taught in many places that people who are mean to others do so out of a lack of respect or self-worth. And I know that that's true in some cases, but it's certainly not the case in all. In fact, recent studies have shown that the people who are bullying are doing so out of an increased sense of their own entitlement and not a decreased sense of their self-worth. And that biblical injunction to feed our enemies could be interpreted as addressing that, that misconception that people just need to be reached out to. People just need a little bit of kindness. And we might fail if we look at it that way. But that biblical injunction to feed our enemies could also be looked at it a different way. I believe that we are called by religious teachings of many different faith traditions. Judaism and Christianity were quoted earlier, but many different faith traditions call us to love our neighbor, not just the neighbors that we like, but all of our neighbors. And we are challenged as people to be better than those who would resort to hatred and meanness. 
We are challenged not to respond to hatred and meanness with more hatred and meanness. It's easy. It's easy to stoop to their level. It's easy to do that. When I was a kid, it might not surprise you to learn that I was picked on a lot when I was growing up in Brooklyn. I was, you know, a pudgy, you know, nerdy, kind of slightly effeminate little boy on the streets of Brooklyn that was not smiled upon. And so I got picked on a lot by the kids in our neighborhood when I was eight and nine and 10. And they stopped picking on me when they understood that I could beat them up because I did, and that's how I responded to them. Um, I learned how to beat them up, and when they would pick on me, that's what I did. It stopped them from bullying me. It made me feel a little better about myself as a nerdy little pudgy eight-year-old on the streets of Brooklyn, but it didn't stop them from doing what they were doing to the next kid down the block. They just, they moved on to a different target. They knew that they couldn't get away with what they were doing to me, so they moved on and they picked on someone else. And I have no idea, to be honest with you, who it was that became the next object of their, of their ridicule, how that person dealt with those things. I have no idea if that person felt the kind of pain that those six young men who took their own lives felt as a result of being bullied because I sent the bullies down the block to the next kid. It's easy to learn how to beat someone else up when they're bullying you. It's a whole lot harder to actually show people kindness when they're being mean. It's hard to feed those who we are in conflict with, especially when they're in the midst of being mean to us. It's hard to see the needs of someone who is treating you badly. It's hard to show that empathic concern, that perspective taking for someone who is in the midst of treating you unkindly. And so I, I've come to believe that that injunction about feeding our enemies is not about making them feel good, showing someone else kindness. It's about developing our own sense of compassion and empathy toward all of humanity. It's about making us better people and showing our children by our example, what someone who is better than those bullies will do. We are challenged in religious community to be better people, regardless of how good or bad the others around us are being. We are challenged to respond to acts of ugliness, acts of meanness, acts of terror, acts of hatred. We are called to respond to them with love, with abundant, endless love, with unconditional love. In that way, those people who might be our enemies, those people who might be mean or unkind, become not sources of hurt for us, but spiritual teachers of us, of ours. And we all have people in our lives I know, I do, that we need to think about feeding. We all have people in our lives that we need to show a better way to. Let that example, let that example of feeding everyone in our midst, our friends, our enemies, those we meet on the street, 
of feeding those who are hungry, no matter who they are, how they've acted, how they agree or disagree with us. Let that example be the one that our next generation of young people will learn. And maybe the next study that comes out will show a reverse in those trends because our society needs it to be so. So may it be.